do I want my life to be this business or do I want this business to fit into my life? Mm -hmm. I think it's perfectly reasonable to be like, I want a business to fit into my life. I really like my wife and my kids, you know, unlike Tom Brady possibly, but like, you know, they're like, I like my life the way it is and I want to be able to earn 300,000 or $500,000 a year. And I don't want to spend my entire life working. Um, And so I'm building a business to fit into my life. And I think that's really easy. I think it's very easy to build a $5 million top line Three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar bottom line business in e-commerce in twelve to eighteen months. You know you're making more than ninety eight, maybe ninety nine percent of America at that point, and your life is you have a great lifestyle, and you can afford that lifestyle. You know you're not going to be able to find private jets for uh, you know every time you want to travel. But if you're like, hey, I'm having a bachelor party once in my life, or I want to take my wife once on a honeymoon, um, you may be able to afford that private jet, and you're just like satisfied in every single way. Welcome to season two of Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's get into it and start making money. I love how Triple Whale is fixing data trust issues for direct consumer brands. Better data equals better business. Want to scale to the moon? Use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up for Triple Whale at triplewhale.com. All right, we're back. Last episode of the season. I can't believe we've gone two seasons through. Yeah. And, How long have we been um, doing this now? It's been... I guess well, it must have been half a year. Like, yeah, six months, something yeah. like that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, hopefully the listeners like it. Yeah. Uh, we plan to continue season three. Yes. And so, yeah, so we'll close out season two with a bang. So what are we getting into today? Something that's certainly geared towards people who are just starting out in e-commerce business. And I think this is one of the questions I get asked most often via email or via Twitter DMs. And I'm sure you get this asked as well, which is how do you determine a product that you want to launch? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are like, you know what? I want to make the leap into e-commerce, but I don't know what to launch. And so I'm not sure what I want to, like, well, you know, wh- how do you determine or how do you think through products that you want to launch? Uh, so we're going to get into that. There's a business of fashion article that you had mentioned that you wanted to chat, chat about in terms of some data analytics or customer data analytics. Very little on the lightning round, and then we're going to go to favorite startups and favorite CRO, uh, and we're going to get to a Twitter question as well. So a bunch packed in today. Awesome. So let's start with, uh, should we start with how to determine what product to launch? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. I personally love finding ideas within problems that already exist, uh, whether that is I have a hard time sleeping, I'll start looking into what are options there that are not widely accessible or that are that would help me sleep yeah. or I can't figure out how to stop sweating. And so let's make a deodorant. Yeah. Basically problem solution led. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there's also a whole other angle of like, is there even margin in this thing? What's the plan of like getting the first million or the first 10 million? Yeah. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that part, which is what is the addressable market before you go all in? And what are the margins like before you go all in? You know, there's a lot of people who are like, I have this unique problem or me and 500 other people that I've communicated with in a Facebook group across the world have this unique problem and I'm going to go solve it. And I'm like, that's great. But so far you've identified 500 people who could be your customers. Right. And this, you know, no business can survive on 500 people unless you're selling very expensive SaaS software. And so I think that's absolutely right. You probably need to do both, which is one, identify a problem that you think that there's a hole in the market for, and two, understand how big is that market? Like, you know, is that a real viable business? And at what scale do you want to build that business? Yeah. Let's talk about it through you first. Uh, I guess, you know, when you went to Long Weekend, it wasn't necessarily something you started. It was something you acquired. What attracted you to Long Weekend? And give uh, give everyone a little bit of context about what Long Weekend is in case they just started listening to you. Yeah, so Long Weekend is a 
plastic-free personal care brand that we bought from Pila earlier this year. We've talked about it on the pod. We yeah. bought it, and basically our goal was, you know, we have Sharma Brands, which we do a bunch of brand launches and scaling a bunch of stuff. You know, let's take that and apply that to a brand that we own ourselves. And so, you know, we bought the brand, we got the products, we're reformulating the products and basically redoing the website. And probably by January, we'll be ready to start really running ads and, and trafficking it and doing all of that. So what attracted me to Long Weekend in the first place was, one, was the, the product worked according to all the customers that were trying it. Um, it had yeah. a good community or a good base of customers. And they were products that had good margins to them as well. Margins are so important. Uh, let me start with, uh, I'll tell you how I think about businesses when I'm getting into it. Today, I'll think about a really specific question before I go on, which is, I mentioned this on Twitter recently, which is, do I want my life to be this business or do I want this business to fit into my life? Mm -hmm. I think it's perfectly reasonable to be like, I want a business to fit into my life. I really like my wife and my kids, you know, unlike Tom Brady possibly, but like, you know, they're like, I like my life the way it is and I want to be able to earn 300,000 or $500,000 a year. And I don't want to spend my entire life working. Right. Um, and so I'm building a business to fit into my life. And I think that's really easy. I think it's e very easy to build a $5 million top line, 300 to $500,000 bottom line business in e-commerce in 12 to 18 months. You know, you're making more than 98, maybe 99% of America at that point. And your life is, you have a great lifestyle and you can afford that lifestyle. You know, you're not going to be able to find private jets for, uh, you know, every time you want to travel. But if you're like, hey, I'm having a bachelor party once in my life, or I want to take my wife once on a honeymoon, um, you may be able to afford that private jet. And you're just like satisfied in every single way. So I think that's the first question I ask, which is how big do I want this business to get? And how much right. What's of my the life- result you're looking for? Yeah, how much of my life do I want it to eat up? But like, let's say you've answered that question. You can answer that question either way. This is the way I think about it next. Is one, you know, generally in business that in businesses that I've created, I've been focused on businesses that can get customers over and over again. One of the things that I wouldn't want to sell is like a lamp because, you know, you, someone buys a lamp or maybe they buy two lamps from your website across, for their end tables in their house. And that's it. They're never going to buy another lamp from you. This thing is never going to go. You know, when was the last time a lamp broke? I, I've never right. seen a lamp break, you know, yeah. bulb breaks, but lamps don't. So you acquire that customer once and that's it for the life of that person. And I think that's really tough when it comes to the way that we advertise, which is through social media or Google or YouTube. You need that repeat purchase rate. Um, and I think like, you know, even other brands like BMW is now selling you a thing where they're like subscribe and you can get your car seats ventilated and heated, right? You can get it heated uh, out of the box, but if you want to get them ventilated, you have to pay $9 a month. Like right. everyone wants that subscription or repeat custom revenue, even the BMWs of the world that are selling that have a, you know, $75,000 AOV. Right. Um, so one is uh, I want to I want to get into products where people will buy again and again. For a long time, I thought that was just like CPG, which is you know whether it be deodorants or whether it be toothpaste or body wash or whatever it is. Uh, now I widen my breadth of things that I would consider into apparel and shoes. You know, if you really like, love a brand, you're likely to buy from that brand more than once. Like, you know, right. if you love 10,000 or Big Favorite or whatever clothing that you buy, um, you're likely to buy more than one shirt from there. And what I really love about apparel, like, you know, when you're doing deodorants, one of the reasons we we came out with seasonal scents with native deodorant was because I was like, look, if we try and get influencers to talk about native, what are they going to talk about every month? Right. What are they going to say? Here's a deodorant. I got another stick of deodorant. Well, congratulations. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. And so I was like, we need to create something that creates excitement amongst these consumers. And I was like, the way we're going to do that is new scents and seasonal scents are perfect. It's not too taxing on the business because we're not doing this every day. And it's like the right amount of cadence for influencers to talk about us. 
you know, my previous business was was this liquor business and we tried to feature a new liquor and then three new liquors every single day. You know, that got really taxing because we basically had to research and think about and curate three different products on a daily basis. First, it was like every other day. Then it was three days a week. Then it was five days a week. Then it was seven days a week. Then we were like, okay, we need to do three a day. You know, it got to be a lot of work trying to curate and bring new products to life on a daily basis. Right. But on a quarterly basis, it's much easier. And I feel like apparel does that really well. Like, you know, you've got a fall yeah, and a winter and a summer. Yeah, exactly. You've got see- Yeah, exactly. You know, Outdoor Voices has different clothing for the winter than it does during the summer. Right. That's a product where people will buy again and again. And it's not necessary that, you know, they consume it, but, you know, there's reasons to talk about the product over and over again, whether it be colors or, se- or, or seasons or like, you know, now I'm setting a sweater as opposed to a t-shirt. I've never been a huge fan of starting an apparel brand for the reason of the sizes, especially with shoes. Yeah. Sizes and returns. Uh, I think apparel, average return rate in apparel is like around 30%. But I do agree. there There's a lot of repeat, especially if you're buying into a brand, not because of the hype or because of the way it looks, but more because you can rely on this pair of shorts being very comfortable, always fitting right, and, you know, lasting you a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I could uh, I agree with that. And like, yeah, I think that sizing is, I'm sure, the number one problem. Like anytime you look at an apparel business and they give you revenue, I'm just like, okay, what revenue are you talking about here? Are you talking about gross sales before returns or after returns? Because right. like, you know, some of these businesses will have, they'll be like, look, I only have a 15% return rate. That's really low. And that may be for... I don't know, underwear or shoes, but a lot of these businesses will have a, but first 15% is really high. Like at Native, it was under 1%, materially under 1%. Returns wasn't a big problem for us in terms of revenue. For a lot of these businesses, it can be 25, 40% of uh, top line though. And so when people give me revenue and when it comes to apparel businesses, I'm like, what revenue are you talking about here? Is this pre-returns and post-returns and what percentage of returns do you have here? Yeah. You know, I love the seasonality of it. So there's reasons to talk about the product over and over again. And I love the fact that people buy more and more of it. Like, you know, I have MeUndie socks. I bought the first, I don't even think they're that good. There's holes in most of my MeUndie yeah, socks. Yeah, mine got holes pretty quick. But, you know, they're like, here's a Christmas drop where it's right. like, you know, you, you could- want the prints. Yeah, exactly. You want a Christmas print. You want a pumpkin print. You want a Thanksgiving print. You know, you want fall and summer prints and you're going through the socks anyway because they're creating holes in them. So you're buying these products over and over again. And I think that's really powerful. Totally. So that's how I think about like a little bit about product category. I would exclude products like mattresses and lamps right, right. out of the gate. You know, a lot of purchase. Yeah, a lot of people have built successful businesses around that. And so uh, I may be doing the wrong thing. I just know what I know. And so I wouldn't get into those other businesses. The other way I think about this is what does the competitive landscape look like today? I really followed this path basically because of Dollar Shave Club and Harry's and all of the like OG direct consumer businesses that came out with these products a decade ago now almost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, Dollar Shave Club launched and they're like, look, the only thing you can buy right now is Gillette. And Gillette has vir- a virtual monopoly on this space. When was the last time anyone iterated either at Gillette or in this category? And the answer is probably not for a really long time. Like, yeah, there were certain competitors, like, you know, maybe Schick did something, but it wasn't a big, like no one's talking about it. Right. And so um, those guys, like, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Harry's came out and they're like, we're going to iterate in a space where there's a monopoly or a duopoly, right? They're like, maybe it's Schick and Gillette, or maybe it's just Gillette, but that's where we're going to come out in. There's only an old, old brand in this space and nobody else really entering it. And the same thing with like Warby Parker. I thought Warby Parker did that as well. There was Luxottica, um, which owns a bunch of these like, you know, Pearl Visions and Lens Crafters of the world. But nobody was like, let's iterate when it comes to eyeglasses in a right. direct-to-consumer way. Totally. Uh, we did that as well. You know, our, our, our space was a little bit different. 
you know, we did in deodorant and there was more than two brands, right? It wasn't just like Gillette and uh, and and Chic. There was Axe and Old Spice and Secret and a bunch of other brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were really owned by two guys. They were owned by P&G and Unilever. And each of these guys had created brands to cater to niche markets. They're like, Axe, okay, you're a young person who wants to smell good, but you don't wear cologne. This is our cologne version of deodorant. Degree is you're an athlete, you want a lot of performance. You're, you know, you work at a construction site or you're outdoors a lot. Uh, you want a lot of performance. Old Spice is, you know, you want to smell like that, cla- like your grandfather. Right. Um, and so all of them had sort of created different, like the two in this duopoly, uh, the brands had created, uh, you know, the two large conglomerates had created separate brands to cater to niche markets. And so I was like, there's been no iteration in this space. Right. Yeah, there's degree has come out with a, you know, degree 72 hour antiperspirant, but who gives a shit about that? Right. Like, nobody's thinking about it that way. Uh, and that's the other thing that I liked is there's very few uh, competitors in the space and the competitors that exist are old school players. You can kind of predict how fast they'll change or innovate or move. Yeah, they'll move by the time you're they'll they will not move until you're a thirty to fifty million dollar a year business. And by that time you're a real business that's generating enough EBITDA where you're like, look, yeah, PG needs to support billions of dollars of top line. If you get a million dollars in EBITDA, you probably have a very good life. Yeah. And the other guys who did this really well were Magic Spoon. They're like, look, who's been in the cereal space? General Mills, Post, and Kellogg. Nobody has created anything that's new looking in a long... Like, you know, we're still eating the same cereals that we ate when we were growing up. Right. Rice Krispies and Golden Grams and Special K Lucky and Honey Charm. Bunches of Notes. You know, you know, there's been no iteration in the cereal aisle, which commands a large, you know, dollar spend totally. when it comes to... Uh, a huge you know, amount of real estate, too. Yeah, and a huge amount of real estate as well. And so they're like, let's come out with new branding and a new angle of being a healthy or cereal and cater to people. And I thought they did a wonderful job. Um, the places where this is hard is where there's already a lot of competitors. When, yeah. you know, in My Dio- first thought is beverage. Yeah, beverage is super hard. Because right. uh, they're like, those guys are trying all the time, right? Like, yeah. bubbly, you know, they're, they're like, let's roll out with a new Coca-Cola and see if it can get any traction. Right, and they have insane budgets. Yeah, I think beverage is really hard also because you have shipping. Mm-hmm. So the weight of the product is huge, which is another yeah. thing I think people don't necessarily factor in when they ideate. Yeah. You know, the weight of the product, the margins, the cost of customer acquisition, how competitive is the customer acquisition market where you're going? So if you're going into retail, it's a different market that you're competing against versus online. And I also think another thing that people don't think about is like, what is their advantage to get past seven figures and get to the eight figure level. Yeah. So like, how are you going to, you know, outside of just running ads or outside of just having one influencer, what is your setup or what is your advantage that you have that'll get you to that point that, you know, a competitor doesn't have? And I think you're absolutely right about beverage, which is, you know, beverage is really hard to sell direct to consumer. And right. all of the things that I'm talking about are going directly to the consumer. Like, you know, beverage is super heavy. If you've got to go to Target, it's a, it's a really uphill battle to be a new startup and to go into Target right out of the gate. Yeah. Like, you know, you're absolutely right about uh, that. The other thing that I really hate is a lot of direct to consumer competitors in this space already. So yeah. like when we launched it in deodorant, there was no, nobody selling deodorant on the internet. Today, you know, I can name 20 brands that have started a deodorant company or have reached out to me being like, hey, uh, we're this big $50 million uh, top line brand and we're going to start selling deodorant as well. Now the space is so competitive where it's really hard to get your ad. ad you know, it's hard when you're competing against Old Spice on ads. 
Easy, because they don't have anybody who's ever run a Facebook ad. They've outsourced it to an agency, and that agency tells the guy, this is what the CPM looks like, Reach the brand the manager. Yeah, and they're like, oh, great. Look yeah. at this. We had, you know, we reached a million people, and last year we only reached 980,000 with the same budget. Guys, things are going well. Nobody's thinking about it in the right way, uh, but if there's a lot of direct-to-consumer competitors in the space already, you're going to be in a cutthroat market where people have knives out already, and right. so it's going to be dangerous to, like, it's hard to succeed in that space. Yeah, totally. The other things I look for are uh, two, twofold. One is like, uh, how much category knowledge can I understand right out of the gate? If you're launching a beauty product, I would be looking at L'Oreal's 10Ks every year. Mm -hmm. I'd be looking at P&Gs, I'd be looking at Unilever's, I'd be looking at Estee Lauder. Any publicly traded business is gonna have some figures out there being like, this is what's working and not working. When I was looking at P&Gs before we sold Native, what was working was this uh, Japanese brand called SK2. I don't think it's working as well today. I have no inside information, but I would just guess. And it was this uh, Japanese brand where P&G imported this beauty product and sold it at Bloomingdale's at $100 a bottle. Like, you know, they're used to selling Olay products at $15. They were selling this product at $100 a bottle. And they're mm -hmm. like, this brand, we're building the back of our beauty division on SK2. And then, I, and they would say it. They're like, this is what's working, SK2. In their 10K, they'd say it. And I'd be like, okay, great. What's working? This is the brand that's working for you. Let me go research it and see what I can do. Not necessarily to reverse engineer it, but to understand what's working for you at scale at a high price point so that I can benefit and be inspired by those things as well. Yeah. And I think not enough people are taking advantage of the publicly available information. In the, in the yeah, market. there's a lot of publicly available information. One other thought I just had too is like, there's a much easier path to do this too, which is you go buy a business, kind of like with Long Weekend. Yeah. You buy something that exists, you find a way to finance it creatively, and then you kind of become an entrepreneur of that business now yeah. with somewhat of a base, some kind of social proof and build on top. And yeah. there's, there's actually, I don't know if you check out MicroAcquire, yeah. but there's so many- I'm an investor in MicroAcquire. Yeah, there's so many businesses on MicroAcquire that are so ripe for buying a, a subscription box or yeah. buying a pet brand and just doing all the things that you would to a brand if you launched it, except now you have a base of customers to start with. That is a great way. I feel like a lot of people don't have the ability to get as creative as you do. And they don't have the credibility for someone like Pila to call, to mm -hmm. be like, yeah, okay, I'll sell you this brand and assume you'll pay me back. Because I think you told me a while ago where you're like, I have to pay them back a percentage of sales over right. time in order to get for them to hit their, in order to pay back for their inventory costs. Most people will not have the credibility to call somebody up and be like, I want to get this brand for free or like in even a creative financing. I think you're you're an exception to that rule, but I do think that's super powerful. Like the way you did yeah. it was phenomenal. Right. Um, and I think you're right. There's also moat, there's fantastic moats like, um, you know, a brand that's leading in Amazon or like number two in a space in Amazon that has a lot of great reviews and that's been managed by somebody who's like thinking about it as this business fits into my life. And you're mm -hmm. like, I'm ready to make this business not fit into my life, but my life to fit into this business. That's also super powerful. So I think the category knowledge from publicly traded companies is really important. I also think about this way from valuations. Like, uh, if you're a shoe business, you should understand what is Nike's valuation compared to its revenue and profit. That's going to help you understand if you're Allbirds, you're going to be like, what is Nike's valuation compared to revenue? Right. If you're a deodorant business, you want to understand what is P&G's valuation compared to its profit? If you're an underwear brand, you want to understand what is Hanes's valuation compared to its revenue and profit? And that's all publicly available information. When people are acquiring you or, think, or funding you or all of that kind of stuff, 
that's going to be something that comes to mind, right? Like nobody's like, you know what? We traded 10 times our revenue. We're going to value you at 1000 times revenue. Right. Like that just doesn't happen. Right. Cause this is the world that they understand. They're like, look, for every dollar of revenue we get, we get a 10 X valuation for every dollar of profit we get, we get a 20 X valuation. Uh, that is going to inform their decision when it comes to valuations and fundraising, especially in later stages. And so I think people should look at those numbers as well and like pay attention to that when they're deciding what category to get into. Yeah, totally agreed. So that, that's sort of how I think about categories and businesses to start. I want something that has a repeat purchase rate. So I want to avoid the lamps and mattresses of the world. I want something where big guys have dominated the space for a long time. Uh, nobody has a large direct consumer presence, so it's not cutthroat. If there's no brand iterating a ton, like that's great. Like, you know, like Nike is iterating a ton, right? Like mm-hmm. Nike is coming out with styles and designs and catering to golfers and tennis guys. Like they're, they're smart and sharp and they're like trying to go after new business. Not every old business is trying to do that. Um, and then I would take the category knowledge to understand valuations when it comes to, I, I would take the knowledge of bigger companies that are publicly traded to understand what's working and what's not, what are valuations looking like, uh, you know, what brands are succeeding and what's not. So going, having said all of that, I want to move into testing a little bit and like, My what favorite. would you do to understand whether this business is going to work? I love how Triple Whale is fixing data trust issues for direct-to-consumer brands. Better data means better business, and it means you can start scaling your brand at a profit. Triple Whale has solved the attribution gap with their Triple Pixel, and I'm signed up for the deeper customer insights and profit tracking metrics I can access on their app. I'm not sure if you use it, Nick, but I'm signed up for Triple Whale and I have a bunch of brands hooked up to my phone on Triple Whale's account. And it's fantastic. Like once you start logging in and looking at the app, I look at it like 15 times a day because I'm like, oh, I can look at all the metrics on my phone and it takes two seconds. So I'm waiting for the train. I'm like, how are all these brands doing today? Uh, So I, I look at it so often. It's really awesome. If you're ready to use Triple Whale, use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up. Uh, It's triplewhale.com. So tell me a little bit about Long Weekend. You, I remember you told me that you were doing some updates, like you were doing a brand refresh. Yep. Tell me what you're doing to like figure out how to turn Long Weekend around after you acquired yeah. it. Very simple. Tons of landing pages yeah. that have messaging testing, reordering, you know, basically value props, benefits, testing different styles of creative yeah. renders versus lifestyle versus, you know, more product photography versus motion graphics. And just figuring out what is getting a better engagement or basically what's converting more than the other and then taking those learnings and this you know the site that'll launch in january will have all those learnings incorporated in it gotcha okay and so are you doing a packaging refresh because i see a lot of the products are like sold out right now yeah so pretty much everything is sold out everything is being produced now new formulation taking into account all of the stuff that uh we got as customer complaints or customer praises so yeah new packaging refresh what was the number one complaint Formulation uh, issues or something Yeah, else? it was mainly around formulation. Like the deodorant would bubble up near the top. That was yeah. probably the biggest one. And are you moving it from top fill to bottom fill? Is that one of the things? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. That's awesome. And then what was the number one, like what was the thing that you got most praise for? The most praise was like how long it lasted or the efficacy of the deodorant yeah. itself. Um, but is deodorant the, the number one kit product? It is the number one okay. product. Yeah. Deodorant followed by shampoo. Got it. Okay. Uh, and the shampoo is actually phenomenal. The cool thing about our shampoo is- there's a specific one of the shampoo. It's the blue colored one, uh, which is the Soothe. And people have said that post-COVID, their hair starts falling out. Yeah. And the Soothe bar actually reduces the number of hair falling out. Wow, that's awesome. So it's no claim, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> many, many reviews. <laughs> um, but 
I think like for us, the big thing is basically how can we test a bunch of stuff in these small environments of landing pages and then constantly apply it. This is the same thing we do with our clients. You know, if we have a supplement brand yeah. that is looking to, they're trying to figure out the best angle to go to a mass audience with, we'll test it on landing pages with different audiences, test different messaging angles, and then whatever is driving better conversion, you know, that becomes their new homepage. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, that becomes a new homepage, huh? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. The uh, You wrote testing here. Were you also thinking like uh, testing brands from scratch? Like, you know, let me go get six ideas, set up landing pages and run traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something exactly that I think more, more people should do. In fact, I also think like there's another business I want to buy. And one thing I want to do is commit like 10 grand to just testing with landing pages yeah. and seeing if there's something there before we go ahead and decide it. it. Yeah. 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 Whenever I'm like talking about buying a brand, I'm always like, let me see your Facebook ads to see what's working and what isn't. And then I'm always like, I want to see if I can, I wish there was a way to be like, look, I want to spend $5,000 of my own money to see if I can drive traffic to the site right. and um, get your uh, sales to work through a good funnel. Uh, Cause you may have not have optimized the funnel the way I would. That's always a really difficult conversation because I'm always like, okay, I want to spend five thousand dollars to see if I can get this thing to work and increase. And then I'm like, I'm always like, I know if this does work, now I have to pay yeah. a higher price, right? Because you're like, see it. yeah, they're like, okay, this is working. Yeah. Your ads are working. Now, guess what? We're gonna spend. The, we're gonna do this ad. Yeah. We're, like you know, you've done the work for us. So now we're gonna, uh, you know, take this marketing strategy right. and go to the moon. And uh, you know, you got to pay us a higher yeah, price. Yeah, thanks for the five grand. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the five <laughs> grand and the strategy and all the thought you put behind it. We're good. Uh, see you later. Yeah. And so I, I think never you get should, to that. You should quickly touch on how you tested this for native because just because the story of the fonts and the colors. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you both native and with kettle. Like uh, the other guy I, I think did a really good job of this is kettle and fire. And I'll tell you the kettle and fire story because that's even faster, which is like uh, Justin, uh, he told me the story where he's like, look, we launched a kettle and fire landing page. We ran ads to it to see if people would buy uh, bone broth, uh, like shelf-stable bone broth. Once we realized people would, we emailed them immediately and we're like, look, we'll give you a, you know, you purchased today, it's Thursday. We're going to give you a full refund today because we actually don't have this product in stock or we can give you 50% off. We're going to have it in two months. And a bunch of people would take, you know, at least that way you find two things. One is you're not getting pre-order bullshit information, which is like, what's your CAC? Well, guess right. what? Pre-orders, your CAC is 10x what it should yeah, be. Yeah, way higher. Get rid of that shit. Just sell it and then refund the guy right away. And you can say, okay, guess what? Uh, we can give you a refund today. You won't, you know, you no harm, no foul. You haven't lost anything. Or, uh, you know, you can get in two months and we'll give you 50% off. You'll get a good understanding of uh, your CAC today and what, where, what it'll look like two months from now if you end up doing this business. Two, you'll have a bunch of pre-orders already for two months from now. So you'll have motivation to go produce your product. Three is you'll have an artificial deadline you've created yourself right. to get this product into consumers' hands. And four, you know, you'll have a business. You know, you'll actually have things to do as right. opposed to just being like, what should I do? Oh, maybe I should iterate on this font, all this bullshit. Yeah. At Native, you know, we did the same thing, which was we created a landing page. We'd found a supplier to supply us deodorant. We'd ordered zero. And I launched this on Product Hunt. We sold one on the first day to some guy from Google. And I was like, fuck it, this business is over. Uh, one of my friends was like, I'm gonna get you on Product Hunt day two. He got us on Product Hunt day two. And we sold like 60 sticks of deodorant. And I was like, well, our MOQ is 100. Our MOQ is even less than that. But I was like, I was thinking about ordering 100. And I was like, look, we've sold 60. Worst comes to worst, I end up with 40. Mm-hmm. And so let me order the 100. And you know, we ordered the first 100 and that's how it worked. But all 60 of those had sold. And they'd sold on like a Tuesday. And by the time we shipped it, it was probably 
10 days from that day because I had to order it. They had to right. bring it. They had to get it to me. I had to pick and pack myself. I had to put shipping labels on. I had to get, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. All I'd done was sell product. And I was like, fuck, we've sold 60 of them. Within 10 days from now, I need to ship those 60. We'd, right. we'd done a bunch of work, which was we had the supplier, uh, but we just didn't have any product. Yeah. And that was great. That was like, you know, I was like, look, I need to do this work. And to be honest, if we had not been on Product Hunt that second day, the business would have closed day one. Because I would have been like, we have one sale. This isn't working. Let me go do something else. Right. This was the motivation I needed. 60 sales to be like, I need to go figure out how to make this business work in 10 days. Totally. Um, and I think that's really good. Not enough people are like, everyone's like, you know, thinking about three months. Oh, should I launch this product? Should I not? I'm like, you've been thinking about this yeah. for like, how long? Go create a landing page. Yeah, just launch it. Drive some ads and it'll either work or it won't. Like, right. you know, you'll be like, I'm excited about this or I'm not excited about this. Like, go do that. Why are you asking every one of your friends for three months, should I do this or not? Go do it. Yeah. What are you waiting a, for? Uh, there was a, a men's telehealth or telemedicine brand we worked with a couple of years ago. We did this exact thing. He basically had the idea. He hired us to do all the landing pages, all the testing, running the ads, and instead of going to the branding agency then after and saying, you know, here's what we want to sell and here's who we think our customer is. Instead, we said, here are the headlines that actually work the best. Here's the style of imagery that yeah. performs the best. And here's the layout of the page that's worked the best. This is what our cost per email acquisition is. This is the cost of an email lead that has actually said they're willing to, willing to commit to this monthly fee. Now go build a brand knowing all this data and yeah. knowing what works and what doesn't work. Um, cause I think in, in, in the reverse, which is, you know, I have this idea, let me go find an agency to help put this together. You're basically creating all this in a conference room, like in a vacuum. And then by the time you go out and start testing it, your site's not optimized for conversion at all. You know, your messaging is not optimized to talk to anybody. It's like trying to talk to everybody. You have no idea what's working, what's not working. Yeah, and you've spent $300,000 yeah, doing all this bullshit. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're like, okay, is this going to work or not? Well, I just lit 300. So then this is what happens. You're like, well, you know what? I was selling uh, homemade candles and I spent $300,000 with this branding agency and another $50,000 with this master perfumer to make sure that my scents were wonderful. And then $50,000 on videography so that I can tell the story on the About Us page. Right. And then I launch and I'm getting, you know, $1,000 in sales a day. It's going to take me 17 years to earn back <laughs> the, you know, money that I put into this business. And then you're like, well, I'm $400,000 in the hole. So I got to see if I can make this business work as opposed to being like, fuck, you know what doesn't work is homemade candles. Let me go shut this business down and go start something else exactly. where I can get way more sales out of the gate. Yeah. You have so much sunk costs when you're like, I've hired an agency to decide whether this is going to work or not. Instead of being like, let me go see if I can get sales. And then if it works, I'll go figure out the branding around it. Totally. And to be clear, like Native was literally built, it, Native site today is still primarily the site I built with the same colors, same fonts, same look. And it took me about 45 minutes to do it all. And, you know, the way I thought about it is, look, I can get 60 to 80% of the way there on my own. And the way I can get there is just copying the way other sites look and they look nice enough. Like, you know, I can copy someone's font and I can copy someone's colors. And like, you know, they probably had Red Antler spend $500,000 doing a study to determine what's the best color for an add to cart button versus your logo. And I'm yeah, going to copy that's those one thing I think colors. people don't do enough is just think about who is already spending five or six figures a month in conversion rate optimization and just 
copy it. Yeah, follow that site all the time and be yeah. like, what did they change? Because they ran an A-B test last month. Right. They made this minor change and it improved their conversion rate. Go do what they're doing. Another easy one is going to the Facebook ads library and looking yeah. at what 80% of the ads are. Yeah. That's working. Yeah. You know, the other 20% is experimental. There's this theme I came across. There's a Shopify theme called Smart Theme, which is basically like they are constantly evolving the theme to get better and better and improve. And it's got everything from like a bundle builder, you know, one-click add to carts, uh, good mobile experience, yeah. good upsells in the cart. And I think it's quite cheap. It's like a couple hundred bucks a month. And you get all of this in versus, uh, you know, having to pay yeah. an agency to do it or or paying developers to constantly add this in. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many tools out there and so many little resources. You just have to like know how to find them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other things I'd say is uh, throw away all other like considerations other than revenue for the first three months. Yeah. You can change your name. Like Hims started out as a completely different business to test their idea. And once they're like, this works, they're like, shut off that business and start Hims with a professional looking site and it looks really good. Don't worry about trademark for the first 30 days. Don't worry, like, you know, you don't copy someone else. Don't launch a deodorant right. and call it Old Spice. That's not a good idea. Yeah. But like, you know, don't worry about any of that kind of stuff and just see if you can get sales. Yeah. Because if you can't get sales, there's no reason to hire an attorney to do the trademark. There's no right. reason to like spend a bunch of uh, costs doing a, uh, you know, uh, creating a really professional contract with your contract manufacturer and your three, don't get a 3PL. If you're selling consumables or clothing, ship that stuff out of your garage for the first six months. You know, I yeah, shipped out- in the process. Yeah, yeah, learn, also learn, exactly, learn how it works. By the time we moved into a 3PL, I was like, this is how you pack boxes. This is how it looks nice. Uh, these are the costs of our boxes and this is how we're going to optimize it. Because I'd weighed the boxes and I was like, this is why, you know, this box weighs three ounces as opposed to 2.2 ounces. And if it weighed 2.2 ounces, our product would weigh one ounce less and we'd save five cents on, you know, yeah. uh, we'd save five cents on packaging and 10 cents on postage on every single package. You need to know the business that well. Yeah, I think the same actually goes even for uh, media buying. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people try to just outsource ads from days, you know, negative two, yeah. instead of actually learning how the platform works and what inputs need to be in there for the output to be the, the output you're looking for. And they just say, oh, here, take, uh, you know, hey, agency, we're going to hire you to run our ads and here's our assets. And then, you know, a month later, why isn't this working? Oh, our agency sucks or Facebook doesn't work. And yeah. it's like, no, it does work. You just, you have no context on what it takes for it to work properly. And you you don't know how to vet an agency because you're like, imagine going to a doctor and being like, okay, this doctor is going to perform heart surgery. Let me talk to him and see how good he is at heart surgery. Guess what? Having never done it yourself, you're probably not going to be able to vet and determine who the best heart surgeon is. Like right. instead of spending $300,000 on a branding agency, spend $500 running Facebook ads and spend $20 a day for, you know, for, 30 days or 25 days and figure out what like, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. What has a higher click through rate? What are people responding with? What are the comments on those ads? Like get your hands dirty and do that before you get the product. Like, you know, I was talking to this one guy recently and he's about to launch a product in like three months. And he's like, you know, what should I do to get ready? I was like, you should be selling that product today. What should you do? You know, you don't want to launch to crickets. Like one of the things that makes me upset and makes me want to quit a business is when there's no sales right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Like I want to pre-order so that there's, I, I want to sell products so that by the time we get it in, it feels like we're doing something. Right. Uh, you know, you don't want to launch to crickets because you lose a lot of momentum and it's hard to get that momentum back. And it's really hard every night to go to sleep and be like, we got one order or zero orders today. And tomorrow I got to come at this with a lot of energy. 
Well, you know what's a lot better is before you get any product in, spend a bunch of time being like, this is the funnel that's working. These are the conversion rate up. These are the product changes I need to make so that when you do have product in stock, you can be like, now things are moving and there's a little momentum to build on as opposed to being like, I got to push this rock from like, you know, the bottom of the hill all the way to the top right. as opposed to being like, it's already rolling. I yeah, just need to give just it more keep juice. Pushing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's a great, uh, anything else you want to add? I think this no, is how I we determine it. Okay, so basically um, consumables or durables that have a repeat purchase rate, something where a category where things have not iterated, people have not iterated on for a long time. There's so many categories like this. Yeah, tons. And I think the best way to find it um, Bug is- spray. Bug spray. Who's doing yeah. bug spray? Kids have it's bug spray. Literally SC Johnson that owns that category. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many opportunities to find things. I think even just like walking in a soup in a in a store and just looking at okay, where you know has this changed or has this just stayed the same forever? Yeah, that's one good test. The other one is just where do you get annoyed throughout your day? Definitely. Take a picture of it and document it. Yeah, yeah. If you take my family to Target, we might buy one thing. Like we might buy a bottle of water, and the four of us, or like five of us, will go through there and spend an hour and a half, like looking through the beauty section and being like, "Look at the new packaging on this guy." Yeah. Or like, "What is like? Look at how many facings this guy has." That's another. Go to a retail store, see how many facings a brand has. Like if you look at what Native started out with, which was like five facings, and now has forty. That's a brand that's doing well. Right. Go find out other brands that are doing well and being like, can I figure out a product that fits within this niche that I can uh, iterate on? Like, look at facings, look at packaging, look at what stands out, look at what you know Target is investing in. Like, right. if you go to a bunch of Targets today, they have a section called Men's World now, where they're like, we're spending a lot of money on men's beauty products and hair care products, and uh, like they have strikes, you know, men's makeup that they never had before. Yeah. Is that a legitimate category? It may be too early to tell. I'm not sure. But like, you know, those are the things that you should look at as opposed to just sitting in a room, asking friends and hiring agencies, which never work. Totally. Okay. Uh, lightning round. There are only two things I wanted to discuss. Direct-to-consumer brands are still being crushed when it comes to online sales or when it comes to publicly traded valuations. I always look at Grove because I love that business and it is getting crushed. It is now a $60 million business. You love shitting. I don't, I, to be honest, I love the business. I, I wish it was doing better and I'm not sure why it's not doing better. Like I don't have the internal understandings of that, but like it's a beautiful packaging. When I go to yeah. Target, I'm like, this is a gorgeous brand. This is a brand where I'm like, I'm not ashamed to buy the name brand of like, you know, I wouldn't want to buy Dwayne Reed's hand soap. Right. I would want to buy Grove hand soap or right. Thrive hand soap. And I don't know why the brand isn't doing well, uh, but it is getting hurt. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about was retail sales, which just came out today. Uh, for the month of November, basically retail sales are kind of flat when it looks to inflation, but like, you know, not good, not as well as people expected. And so uh, there's a big downturn in the market today. Like the Dow was down 900 points when we started recording this. I feel like this always happens. Every like between Fed meetings, everyone's like, "Oh, Fed has got a good handle on inflation now. Fed is going to stop raising interest rates. We're not going to get to a recession." And then the Fed comes out and is like, "Look, we want inflation at two percent. It's at seven. Seven is still really high. You think that it's over? The battle is not over. A dollar a year ago is now worth ninety three cents. Right. That is a lot of like purchasing power degradation in twelve months. This battle is not over. Every two months, I feel like this happens, and the market is like." oh shit, I guess it's not over. The Fed says that they're going to continue to raise interest rates. Yeah. Something like this happens and the Dow tanks. That Watch, the next two months, the Dow will start climbing back up. Then there'll be a Fed meeting and the Fed yeah. will be like, we have not finished this battle. And every investor will be like, oh my God, I guess the Fed is still serious about this. 
Um, so I feel like those are the things that are happening. Uh, anyway, Bank of America said credit card sales, when it comes to travel, are doing a little bit better than expected. But when it comes to online purchases, sales from their credit cards are down in November as compared to October, which is really shocking because November yeah, is the- Black Friday. Yeah, Black Friday. You know, that's where the bread and butter of online sales are. Right. And they're down in November compared to October. That is not a good sign. On the other hand, I think Affirm and Klarna, all their payments are are way up compared to year over year. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, th- uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, this is ba- Bank of America was saying actually month over month. Got October it. versus November. November is worse. Interesting. That's what's crazy because it's like Black Friday compared to no Black Friday. Right. Why would it be worse? But it only has, they said it was like online sales and a couple other categories. It wasn't across the, like, I think travel still was like strong as opposed to like, you know, online purchases. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's do favorite startups. Uh, or favorite direct-to-consumer brands that you're sort of looking at th- these yeah, days? Yeah, one, one that's caught my eye recently is, uh, have you seen the around New York, all the posters that say murderer for hire? Yeah, Liquid Death. Yeah. yeah, I think they crush that. Yeah, I, I had no idea it was tied to Liquid Death until uh, you go to the website that's yeah. on there. But it's just a black poster. It says murderers for hire. Yeah. I think it gets your attention way better than a lot of the other out-of-home yeah, stuff for that's sure. running. You know, you're not going to go online and buy a case of liquid death right away. But next time I'm in Whole Foods needing to get a water, I'm going to buy a liquid death instead of an Essentia. Really amazing that these guys have been like, there is room in the bottled water category to innovate. Everyone's been trying to do this for 50, not 50 years. I mean, there's 3,000 new water companies that start every year. Yeah, yeah. And that was five years ago. It's probably 3,500 at this point. Yeah, it Uh, is insane. They've been able to continue cutting through the noise. Absolutely incredible. Okay, I, I'm going to mention this brand called Bespoke Post, which uh, you may have heard of already. It's been around for a decade. I'm not an investor, but I know the guys who started it. They have this incredible story where they're like, they were in um, an incubator and they were launching some like SaaS platform. And the the night before demo day, they're like, okay, this SaaS idea is terrible. We're going to pivot. And so then like, you know, they're just like, we're creating Bespoke Post. And a decade later, they're still working on the brand and it's basically men's amazing gifts. And I've gotten a few uh, packages from there uh, that I've purchased that I've not been gifted and they're fantastic. One was like these fun, like, you know, simply glasses that sit on their side and twirl around. Yeah. A great brand. I really love it. They do a great job of like men's curation. And I feel like it's so hard to buy men's gifts. Yeah. No, like, no know, guy knows what yeah. they want. Yeah, so exactly. Perfect. And these are great gifts that are like interesting and curated and not where you're like, okay, this is going to sit in my closet. And when I move, I'm going to be like, why did I get this? I should throw it away. Mm -hmm. More interesting than that. Like you will use them once a month, which is fantastic. Right. Okay. Favorite CRO. Uh, I'm going to mention two brands because I just looked at them both recently. Um, One is, and we might've mentioned this before, which is the Harry's add-on item, which is like a mystery item. I linked it for you here, Nick, so you can see what it looks like. Yep. Uh, And it's basically like when you're at the checkout page, they're like, hey, here's a $10, get a mystery item for $10. We're not going to tell you what it is, but it'll be worth more than $10. So they're like, look, we get to get rid of inventory that we don't want. Yep. And uh, you're like, I get value. And they're like, we also don't have to degrade the price because if you have like a, you know, an SPF product that costs $15, we're not going to include that because that right. would make you feel like shit because you paid $10 for, $15 for one and 10 for another. But they get to maintain their brand integrity. You don't know what it is. They get to move inventory. I think it's a really yeah, good idea. Also, just an easy, like from a development standpoint, you know, mystery box is much easier than trying to decide, okay, if this person has X in their cart, we should show Y as the yeah. XL. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. The other people who do this, and I know this because I just purchased this from them, is McDonald's. Yeah. Like if you're purchasing a cup of coffee, they're like, why not go with one of these other items? Fries, uh, you know, uh, a Big Mac, or there was like a milkshake on there. Yeah. And I was like, I personally want all of them, but we're shooting this podcast. 
but they also do an upsell on the way to checkout from yeah. their like kiosks. McDonald's is really like they're the first they're restaurant insanely where, advanced. Yeah, I'm like holy so advanced. It's McDonald's so good. and Domino's, yeah, two companies that I think innovate kind of under the radar. Like nobody really talks about it because it's McDonald's and Domino's, but their innovation has constantly made it more convenient to use them as your restaurant of choice over their competitor. And it wins people over all the time. It's really incredible. Like, um, you know, I, I, every time I go to McDonald's now, I never interact with person. You just uh, order at a kiosk and they right. shout a number and you're like, great, my food is here. Right. Um, and, you know, you want to make custom, like the, it's really easy that that interface of ordering is fantastic. Like it doesn't crash. Yeah. You can do customizations. You can be like, I don't want pickles. I want creamer and I want this type of creamer in my coffee. And I want it to be like, I want two creamers, not one. Like, you know, it's not just some shitty app. It's They're like, jitterbug friendly. Yeah, it's jitterbug friendly. And it's really incredible that they were able to f uh, figure that out. Yeah. Um, so for- uh, for some of the CRO ones that that I was going to write, I'm just going to combine it with that business of fashion article because I yeah. don't think there's a yes, lot in please. there. Yes, So I went through basically the top four checkout flows that they mentioned, which was Nordstrom, Adidas, American Eagle, and JCPenney. So I think most of them are, are the same. It looks like they operate on like a Salesforce commerce cloud or Adobe commerce. So a few things that I think they did really well. So one was Nordstrom has uh, next to your size when you're choosing a shirt, next to the size, it says only a few left. And so it just kind of adds that urgency. When you add something to the cart, it pops up with a module for upselling products that say specifically call out stocking stuffers. And even last week I mentioned how the Ridge one called out specific yeah. you know, holiday savings. Yeah. I think just going that extra mile and writing the copy to say stocking stuffers versus just add this to your order goes such a long way. The other thing was they made the AOV under $50 for all those stocking stuffers. Great idea. Uh, when you get to checkout, they offer you, do you want $40 credit towards your order? And obviously everybody wants to say yes. Yeah. You just sign up for their credit card. Um, the last thing with Nordstrom, which was also the same for Adidas, was they both have single page checkout. So Shopify has this multi-step checkout. Yeah. They have a single page checkout. On the Adidas PDP, they have a thing that's that's next to where you're choosing your size. It says 115 people bought this in the last 24 hours. So kind of like adding that social proof. Yeah. Airlines do this too. If you buy a flight with Delta, it'll say, you know, do you want to buy the insurance? Here are all the benefits with insurance. And you can say, yes, protect my insurance. Uh, or, you know, yes. And next to the yes, it'll say, you know, 26,534 people also purchase it in to get insurance. Yeah. And then right below that, it's like, no, I want to lose my money forever. <laughs> you know, something like that. So that I think helps. And then the the other one for Adidas, which is interesting, when you add a product to cart, so not even getting to the checkout, but right when you add, it says, hey, do you want to get fast, unlimited, free shipping forever? Yeah. Of course it's yes. Yeah. And all you have to do is sign up to be a member, which is free. So now you're putting your email in, you're kind of creating an account, which somewhat puts your foot into the sure. door. And worse comes to worse, they now know where to find you again. Is single page checkout better than multi page checkout? I never like you know. I, I imagine Shopify has tested that and figured it out, but like I always yeah. thought uh, single page was better. I personally like single page. Yeah. I think with Shop Pay, you kind of get the single page experience. But yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. The last one that I think was really interesting was JC Penney. So they they're running a site wide sale right now, 30 percent off the the entire site. Uh huh. But they'll have a pop up that says, "Hey." Do you want to apply 30% off to your whole order? If yes, you click this big red button that says apply 
And it's like, you know, you could have read that in the ad. You could have read that in the notification bar at the top. But now clicking that button, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm getting 30% off. I'm buying, you know, six more things than I needed. Yeah, I always wondered whether letting people apply a coupon code versus a link automatically applying the coupon code was better. And to be honest, I I frankly have not tested this and I'm a little embarrassed about that. But like, you know, when people apply a coupon code and they see that they're they're like, I was going to pay $20 and now I have to pay $14. I'm like, you know, I feel good about it. You know, when I find a coupon code and I apply it, I'm like, yeah, baby. Yeah, it's it's a win. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a win. I'm not sure if that feeling of applying a coupon code isn't worth something. Like the auto apply makes life easier for you, but I'm not sure if the feeling doesn't improve conversion rates. I I've found that better than just an auto, like an automatic site-wide code, if you, and Shopify lets you do this with permalinks, you can go to any page on the site and the discount will be applied when you get to checkout. But seeing the discount code there and seeing the dollars that's being taken off, it's psychologically bigger than just an an automatic discount that's applied. Yeah. Uh, Couldn't agree more with that. That's awesome. Okay. Should we wrap it up with the Twitter question? Or was yeah. there more? Okay. Let's wrap it up. Uh, so there, somebody asked us on Twitter, uh, what are the most important first three hires for a direct-to-consumer business? And at what, what point do they become necessary? What do you think? Well, one, I think it depends on what you're good at, like mm-hmm. as the as a founder, right? Because you're not like, at that stage, it's not, I'm not working on the business. You're working in the business. And so you have to see what you're good at and what you're not good at. For me Great personally, point. I would say, you know, I would want to hire a growth person, somebody whose entire full-time job is just A-B testing, cranking out new creative, testing things, seeing what works, optimizing what works, and then applying it. Um, the second one would be like a product and ops person, somebody who's making sure that when the product is ready, there's a truck that arrives and the product gets on the truck and it arrives at a 3PL, it gets checked in properly. Yeah. Um, the third one is probably customer service or like just customer experience as a whole. And then, you know, I think from there, then you can start to hire underneath those three. But I would say those are probably the three that I think of. What we did at Native, I think, was the first three were all customer service people. But I think that in operations, like, you know, for me, it was definitely customer service because I think that it's really important for you as a founder to do it as long as you can to understand what the problems are. So if you're getting under 50 tickets a day, you should be doing all the customer service. Or certainly under 30 tickets a day. If you're getting north of 100, I can understand hiring somebody. And so generally, I think that like once you get to 100, you know, north of 50 tickets or 100 tickets or depending on how complicated they are, you need a CS person. Yeah. I think an operations person can help at some point, like early on as well, because you probably just don't have enough time to optimize. Like an operations person should be able to pay their own salary when it comes to cost savings. Yep. They're optimizing freight. They're pushing suppliers on, uh, you know, costs. They are dealing with... Uh, the credit card agencies and trying to bring rates down. They're finding uh, you know issues with logistics that they can save money on. They're finding a new 3PL or more, more nodes to a 3PL. And so I think that like uh, an operations person can pay for themselves. And I think the last person is probably like a jack of all trades to help you in a bunch of ways. Like for me, it was, I needed help thinking about emails and double checking before we sent out an email. Did I make any typos? Did mm-hmm. I spell native correctly or did I accidentally, you know, spell it naive, which was a real like, you know, worry for me. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was like, wow, I'm going to send out an email that says naive and people are going to be like, I must be naive for paying $12 for yeah. deodorant. And so, uh, you know, somebody who can help you when it comes to that, somebody who can help you think about operations and new product categories and either do CRO if you need it or think about the actual product that you're selling if you need it. And so I think those are the first three people that I would hire, uh, depending on like how much scale I was getting and how fast I was getting it. Totally. Awesome. Okay. That's a wrap for the season. Yeah. 
Glad we could finish it in person too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Gotta um, do this more. Yeah, we should. Yeah, the in-person ones are awesome. So um, much more fun. Hope you guys had a wonderful Q4, both a Merry Christmas and like a, a lucrative Christmas. Happy um, Hanukkah. We're excited to dig into, uh, you know, uh, January sales or, and January e-commerce tips. Like, you know, I find this so trite, but always New Year, New You works. I'm not sure it is the how many Super years. Bowl of wellness. Yeah, I'm not sure how many years people are like, it's, I feel the same way where I'm like, you know what? It's 2023 and I need to do all my resolutions for 2022 this year now. Yeah. And so, um, you know, keep at it. There's a bunch of stuff uh, that we're going to be talking about in January. We're going to have a few more guests on in uh, season three as well. So super excited about it. Awesome. We'll see you in season three. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 